Hi, and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Pup Podcast. I'm here with my wingman, Gareth Shaw. There's love in the air because we've had Valentine's weekend and uh, we've got some golf to be talking about. There's some, well, it's an iconic venue. We talked about it briefly last week, but Pebble Beach did not disappoint. Uh, Interesting what happened on and off the golf course, greens, uh, and we've got some interesting information coming your way with regards to a brand new testing program with a brand new piece of equipment, RoboPod. See you in the room. Morning, Gareth. Morning, Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Very well. Have you enjoyed the weekend's uh, entertainment? Yeah, again, it just, it's just weird on having one tournament on. You get used to the luxury of having two tournaments going. I know, but uh, given the fact that we've got a bit of love going on over the weekend as well, we couldn't have too much golf getting in the way, could we? So, uh, <laughs> so a bit of a late Valentine's, um, you know, welcome. But uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. Did so, you cook? Did you cook, Andy? Uh, listen, if you're going to get a quality meal in this house, you don't ask Andy to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I provided um, liquid um entertainment um if you know what i mean um given the fact that i don't drink but um yes um mrs g had a very nice bottle a couple of very nice bottles although she only opened one and and sipped a little bit from it um yeah it was just a quiet day you know obviously lockdown what do you do we would have gone out for a meal ordinarily um you know we'd have done done what most couples would think about doing i suppose which is obviously going out for for something to eat and spending time together we spent some time together um quite a bit of time together actually it was really nice um you know and uh yeah it was it was just quite and um you know the opportunity for us to appreciate each other which is lovely so um, did you did you enjoy pebble beach uh, I did. I haven't seen, uh, you know, a huge amount of it over the weekend. I picked some highlights up. Um, the finish was obviously, well, <laughs> you know, one thing I will say is that we saw some spectacular and we saw some even more spectacular. We, we saw some spectacular shots. I mean, you know, hole outs from Spieth and, you know, I, I will say that I think he's back. And I don't think it's going to be very long before, you know, he gets past the point of where he is now, which is three solid rounds and getting through the last round to create the win. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, I wouldn't say he's got exercising and gremlins to do, but he's, you know, he's got to get to figure out, you know, there's, a, there's an art to learning to win and he learned to win early. And I think, you know, we've talked about this last week. You know, I picked up on a commentary from somewhere else, which was said that, you know, I don't think he realised how, one, how good he was, but also how he did it. And he's got to discover that again. Um, And, you know, to think that by the time, you know, while I was watching it, you know, he stood on the 17th tee, needing to finish Birdie Eagle to tie what was Clubhouse lead. Um, And of course, you know, Daniel Berger hadn't made Eagle at, at uh, 18 at that point which is pretty spectacular um you know because i mean you've still got to do it it is a par five but you still got to do it and it doesn't shed many eagles um you, you know it, it will shed one or two but it doesn't shed many um 
but yeah, I, I think ultimately, I think, you know, we can safely say that, um, you know, Spieth is back and, and he's, you know, he's doing his thing. Um, it's good to see because he's, you know, he's a class act. He's a, he, you know, and, and he comes across as a nice guy. Look, you know, and he hit a lot of bad, when he hit a bunch of bad shots and you're not used to doing it, you can appear to be a little petulant. Um, you know, a little bit spoiled, and you, you know, it can upset a few folk. But when you're used to doing it, right, and you hit a few bad shots, it isn't petulance, it's the anxiety of, well, that's just, that's just a normal thing for me to do. Mm. Um, and like I say, it is not then petulance. So, you know, I, I, I feel for anybody who gets in a position like that and, um, and can't make it happen. Um, and that's the, that's the thing about it, you know, and it's, um, look, you, you know, you've got to, got to work through it as a golfer. Um, he's been fortunate that he's won, he's, you know, his bunch of majors and, you know, he's done a fantastic job of that. Um, what, what were your thoughts I saw on social media about people were saying he needs a new putter grip because he has absolutely worn his putter grip out. What are your thoughts? Is that a superstition thing? Is that a feel thing? I think there's an element of that. Yeah, very much so. It's a case of, you know, what does he feel he's going to lose by changing that grip? Um, You know, I've seen it with players before. I've seen it, you know, numerous times, you know, and you get a player, you know, just encourage them to switch. They'd rather switch the putter, complete lock, stock and barrel and switch the... uh, um, you know, to switch the, <laughs> switch the putter out, the grip out. Because once you take grip off, you don't going back on. Not that type. I mean, you know, you know, I've uh, said it enough times. You know that, but you're not you're not getting that grip on anything like it was before, um, because of the way it's designed. And um, yeah, he's he's he'd rather put a new putter in the bag, I think, than to put a, a new piece of rubber on it. But it, you know, it won't last forever. <laughs> you know, it, it will. Ultimately, it will fall off. And um, you do you think behind the scenes, as he texts, I think he'll be testing different grips, looking at the feel and things like that before he puts anything. He's going to stick with the same. He's going to stick with the same one because it works. Um, which is then when it comes down to how long will it last? You know, it's like the old, you know, the rubberized grips that we we used to have, or the leather grips before that. You know, players would would stick with it. You know. Um, but you know, as a player, once a, a grip starts to lose performance, it starts to lose feel. Um, mm. It's not a grip that requires track or a club that requires lots of traction because you're swinging it at 120 mile an hour. It's not that, you know, obviously. But um, there's a feel element to it. But you know, every you know, pretty much every player I know that switches a grip out when they eventually do it gets, oh, I should have done this earlier. Mm. You know, because there's that feel of. You know, it's all new. But, you know, if, if the one part of his game is super solid, you know, then he's, why, why would you change it? You know, so, you know. But I think ultimately performance is, is, is locked in with, with the grip. And, you know, you get a good grip on your club and you can, you know, you, you can grip it the way that you feel best. Um, you know, and as I said last week, I think you know he's he's knocking putts in, but he's he's his stroke isn't super smooth. It isn't as smooth as it used to be. Yeah. Um, you know, so there are a few things going on there. It's and got a bit of jabby, isn't it? It's got a bit of jabby. Yeah. 
yeah, there's a bit of jab going on there. The putter's not arcing, it's not rising in a pendulum manner. It's, it's staying very low. It's artificially low in the backswing and it's very, very low through the ball. It's almost like he's hitting down on it. And uh, But he's, he's rolling it nicely. You know, and we can come down to the things of technique and, you know, folk who've listened here before know that I have a principle around obtaining, you know, the optimum technique. The question is, you know, number one, why wouldn't you? And the other one would be, if, if what you're doing already isn't broken, then don't try to fix it. And, you know, ultimately it comes down to the fact that if the speed's right and the face is square, you know, 90% of the golf ball start line has been dealt with. So, you know, as long as you haven't got a compromising path at that point, then, then you know, the golf, the, ultimately the, the, the ball is going to do what you want it to do. And, you know, that is move towards the target at the right speed. So, you know, it is very difficult from the outside looking in for, you know, knowing what is an ideal principle, you know, and, and we have our ideals. And the ideals are based around human design. So in other words, everybody can do this, you know, uh, and then, you know, everybody, I say everybody, you know, folk talk about the fact that putting is very arty and feel. Um, and, you know, yeah, if you've got a flawed method, it is. That, that's my argument, you know, all the time. If you have a flawed method, it is art, it is feel, and you better hope it's on all four days. Otherwise, you know, your putting's going to be streaky. You'll be on, it'll be off. You know, you don't know what's going on. And, you know, all of that is, you know, is a big challenge. Yeah. So, you know, they're all, for me, they're all big, you know, all deals that, you know, we can't, just can't. You can't how, how successful do you want to be, mm -hmm. ultimately, you yeah. know, is, is the question. And, mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, um, if you want to be, if you want to be consistent, if you want to be, um, you know, competitive, you know, then you've got to, you've got to have all of those things in place, I think. So, well, lots of people I've seen commenting before, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, but the forward press that he has, what are the benefits? Mm. What are the disadvantages? Uh, Again, providing the putter sets up to, you know, to the point of impact um, that you're looking for, then, you know, there are no, no issues. Um, you know, for me, you know, putting is, is, a, um, it is all about what's happening at the point of impact. So if you've got around one degree aloft at the point of impact, then you, you know, ultimately um, you will deliver a putter that is, sorry, deliver the putter to the ball that ultimately gets that golf ball rolling. If you've got five degrees, four, five, six degrees of forward shaft lean, and you've only got three degrees of loft on the club, then you're in a negative loft scenario and you're going to beat it down. And, um, it, you know, that, that becomes a, you know, a poor stroke factor. It would suggest that he's got enough loft on his putter. And his forward shaft lean at address may rep represent, you know, sort of, you know, let's just say it's five degrees um, at the point of impact uh, at address. It may only be two degrees at impact, in which case it's back to one degree if it's a standard lofty club at around three degrees. So it, it, again, it all comes down to the dynamics at the point of impact. 
Mm. You know, which is why why it's so critically important to have some kind of technology that, you know, technology doesn't have to be electronic. You know, but have some kind of technology that tells you what's happening to the golf ball as you strike it. So it may be a roll board, you know, which you know is as you've seen, you know, is, is basically a, a a grained felt, you know, surface or base surface that shows up what the golf ball is doing when you strike it. So if the it, you know if, if it's optimum then the ball has a nice skid you know before it moves into roll mm-hmm. um if it starts to bounce because the, there's too much loft or not enough loft you know then that will show up as well and, is that um, something that players just don't realize the kind of recreational golfers about how much loft on their footer and it's like yeah. almost like kind of an area that they could they could put better because by understanding the amount of loft that they've got on their footer yeah, when it comes to it, you know, we've talked about this before in terms of fitting putters, but ultimately, you know, loft at the point of impact falls at the falls further down the list, you know, in terms of getting things right first. Um, now, if you've got a player who can deliver the club consistently based around the optimum length, so set up, lie so that it hangs correctly. So now when you've got the right lie, you've got the right... Uh, angle of lofted face at the point of impact um then you know all those characteristics at the point of impact then is you know comes down to now how does the putter deliver the face of the club and if the loft is too much or too little at that point then it's going to affect the the initial launch of the golf ball but the first things first is you get the length of the club right to optimize posture so that you can perfect the stroke and then once you've got that consistency you know really the, the lie angle of the club is is you know it's coming through your posture it's it's, a, it's a, how your arms hang um you know from from the elbow that determines the lie angle of the club and and then from there the loft is a dynamic thing it's a it's a freedom of movement and it's that consistency it's no point in going straight for the jugular of loft when a player has a variable of three to five degrees you know, you've got to get that down to within a degree, um, you know, which, will, you know, all recreational golfers can do that. You know, can get any, anything locked into within a degree. Um, and then you can then say, right, okay, from here, I can safely say that, you know, if, they, if they're forward lean and look, an awful lot of golfers, awful lot of golfers chip the ball with the putter. So, you know, I would say that it's probably a 75-25 split on, you know, adding loft to, to de-loft. Um, and then subsequently, you know, you are, um, you know, you've got to get that player to be as consistent as they can and then dial it in. You're trying to get around one degree. If a player is variable, one and a half, two degrees, then, you know, somewhere between one and two degrees is going to be ideal. What you don't want is negative. You never want negative loft uh, on the putter because that's just going to beat the ball in the ground. It's, it, you know, you. So that that's you're always airing on the side of of loft, um, you know, rather than but but as close to zero as possible if you're consistent. So I say around half to one degree is ideal, but you've got to be consistent at delivering it. There's no point in saying right, okay, well I'm going to set the putter for half degree of launch and uh, you know half degree of loft and one degree of, of upward launch um, rise angle with the putter, you know, because if a player can't do that, 
you know, then then it's it's futile. Um, what's the what's the ratio between kind of skid and roll? What's the ideal? What's the optimum? We want the ball. To, you, you, skid skid has to happen. You can't. It's you know, it's going to be something that we need to understand is that you can't immediately roll the ball because there's an element of no friction. Um, you, you know, a, a, the the point of no friction in effect, what happens is that friction is the only thing that causes the golf ball to roll. Now, launch dynamics can help to to optimize that. Um, you know, if the loft is more than the rise angle, then you'll chip the ball and you create backspin. But you're but you've got to keep the ball on the ground to create friction. Friction is the only thing that's causing the golf ball to roll end over end. Mm -hmm. That is no it's a complete fallacy if you think you're going to get top spin on the golf ball. You can't. The only way you get top spin on the golf ball is to actually physically strike the top portion of the golf ball. Well, you haven't got you, I mean that means 45 degrees of negative loft to do that. You know, with, with an angle, remember the ball sitting on the ground here as well. So you can't do that like a tennis racket shot, um, you know, to create topspin or hit with the round tip of a cue, you know, at, on the top portion of the ball. You know, that that's just not something that can happen in golf. So you strike the back edge of the ball with minimum loft, you know, say minimum as close to zero as possible, but again, not negative. Uh, you know, with again a very minimal rise angle, and the, the reason why you've got a rise angle is because you don't want to hit down. Because you hit down, you're going to beat the ball into the ground. It's going to chip, bounce. You know, so we want that golf ball. The faster the golf ball goes through the skid phase, the the more optimized the roll is going to be. It's going to be around about ten percent of the length of the putt. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, in the perfect scenario, or say a perfect, there is such a thing as a perfect scenario to create mm -hmm. a lengthy skid. Um, and you know where the ball just does not do anything other than skid because the surface moisture isn't there, the surface friction isn't there, and the ball is literally just skidding across the surface. Doesn't happen very often. It, I've recorded it once. Mm -hmm. um, I actually hit the putt twice, but recorded it in the second instance um, where the loft, the lie, uh, the loft and the rise angle were optimized, and the surface contact the, the friction on the surface was just like it was skidding on you know a, a puck on ice mm. um it just literally skidded across the surface it was one of my playing partners that noticed that the ball hadn't rolled had, but had continued to skid for three of the four foot and that, that it had moved on it was super quick mm. and i just struck the putt to knock it in and it probably would have gone three foot four foot past the hole but it was, you know, it was a nominally downhill putt, but just one of those, you know, perfect storms, you know, for, for, for creating that environment. And that's the only thing I could figure out because it wasn't something that was going to be easily replicated. The following day, the sprinkler heads had been on. It was a, a course that I was playing in the middle of a, a club championship weekend. We played late in the evening. The club championship had happened in the morning, first round. We got to play in the afternoon. So a balmy summer's afternoon, you know, just the perfect amount of heat, the perfect amount of dry surface, and it created a skid. And if I hadn't have recorded it on a couple of, you know, mobile phones just lined up, you, we wouldn't have been able to see the fact that this golf ball just skidded along the way. I was fortunate I was able to replicate the putt that I just hit as well, because um, I could have been there all day um, and not replicated it. But, yeah, typically around about 10% is skid. 
and then friction takes over to create the roll. So don't try to swing up on it to get top spin. It's just not something that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And if folk are out there teaching it, just recognize it. There's just not something that can happen. So don't try to swing up. But if a player is hitting down on it, and you know, you're far better off having a putter coming up through the ball than you are down through the ball. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Because again, I don't think people realize this. I think people, like you said, will go into a big box store, pick up a putter. Yeah, it rolls. Feel, feels nice. That's it. Move on. Next. It's, it's, there's so many of these little myths that, that we, we hope that we just keep dispatling and just keep engaging and educating people on. It's so important. Yeah. I mean, there's so many different things that, you know, it, ultimately you weather through the perfect storm and you create the right launch conditions. So, mm-hmm. you know, you want the golf but you want the face to be nice and square to the target you want the path to be reasonably straight to the target um you know and that's where the f- the flexibility of being human is as long as the face is square the path can be reasonably straight and the mm-hmm. golf ball's going to start where you want it to um the loft needs to be minimal and you know the rise angle you know minimal to create to keep the golf ball on the ground mm-hmm. You know, one of the biggest challenges of you've just don't hit whatever many shots to get down the fairway and get the ball on the green. And then, you know, you try to chip the ball off the green to get it rolling. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, why would you ever, why would you ever think? Sometimes we don't think about these things. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how many times I ask the question with folk and they go like, well, you know, I'm trying to get topspin. Well, what do you think is going to happen to the golf ball if you swing up on it? Well, we get to topspin. So do you get topspin on your driver when you swing up on it? Because you're only swinging up on the driver a couple of degrees. You know, nobody's really swinging seven or eight degrees up on the driver. You're going to top it no matter how high it's teed. So, you know, it's only a couple of degrees of upswing. You do that because it's positioned forward in the stance and you've teed it up to try and create that scenario as well. But do you get topspin? The numbers on the, you know, launch monitors tell us there's two and a half thousand spin if you're optimizing might be three and a half depending on your speed but there's always three and a half two and a half to three and a half thousand spin on the driver and you're swinging up on it and the ball gets in the air it it doesn't ever get top spin it'll roll because friction has caused the bottom of the ball to move slower than the top of the ball that's why it rolls down the fairway but it gets in the air because of backspin and that's what we don't want on a putt you know now speeds will eliminate how much backspin you can create, but you can create backspin. So you don't want backspin on it. That's going to stop the golf ball from rolling. The idea of putting is rolling the ball towards the hole. Also last time I checked, but it's, it's amazing how many folk think that they've got to try and put topspin on the ball when Mm. roll is all you can achieve because you can't create more roll. And at what point does roll become topspin anyway? Mm. You know, so what's the definition of topspin is, is the ball, the top half of the ball is rolling faster than the bottom half and it's based on friction. So you've got to keep the ball on the ground to create friction. And if you keep it on the ground, you do create friction. So, hey, perfect. <laughs> exactly. And that, I think that's something, again, um, that, that Nate Ashley needed um, some talking about. Ah. Ashley, Ashley kind of had a bit of a, a heads gone on the last three holes at the tournament this weekend. Do you want to, do you want to elaborate, Andy? Um, yeah, I think we had a little bit of a brain capitulation um uh yeah it's um do you think you looted the leaderboard and went oh my goodness i've got a chat i've got a chance here i'm playing well 
I've got, what I would say is he obviously fancied the first putt mm. and he's hit it well. He's, but he's hit it five foot past the hole. So he's given himself, he's given himself a chance to miss the return. Um, and, you know, he's, he's not used to being in that position. Mm. But you don't get on the PGA Tour if you can't win. Mm. Somewhere along the line, you've won something. You know how to win. You know, so so ultimately, um, I think he's. Um, I think he's. I think he's just literally stopped thinking in the moment. It, it's. Um, I, you know, it's very difficult to get inside a player's head, and you know, I've not seen any interviews. But he's literally he's he's hit the first putt. He's regretting the first putt. Mm. If, I, if that was me, I'd be regretting the first putt. I've given myself an opportunity to miss the next one. He hits another really good putt, but with too much speed, he doesn't take the break. Now, he doesn't want the golf ball to spin off, but now he's left himself three foot past the hole again, and, of course, it's missable. So, he's, he, you know, he's he hasn't done anything wrong in the first two putts, but it's a shocker of a third putt. Mm. And, you know, that is a bad putt. It's a bad stroke. So... You know, at all times, we have to be very mindful of, you know, this capitulation can happen. And, of course, then you're going to press. You make eagle at the last and, you know, you give yourself a half chance of, of a decent check. It's If he'd have won the tournament, I think, you know, it, I think I saw earlier, it cost him somewhere between 110 and, you know, so half a million dollars. Um, <laughs> would he get over it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What were, your, um, what were your thoughts? His reaction is kind of trying to sink his putter into the 16th green. Is that just again in the moment? Head's gone. Just instincts taken over. Kind of it rationale. Is, but I'm going to throw. I'm going to throw one out there, which you know will leave the audience split. I'm sure. If you're burying a club in the green, is that worse or lesser? Mm. Uh, um, an issue than what we had with Justin Thomas a few weeks ago. Yeah. Mm. Now I'm not, you know, I'm not defending Justin Thomas for what he said in that, in, in making this statement, but I'm mm. sorry, the guy deserves to lose every single one of his sponsors for doing something like that. If you go and do it on the route to the next tee, that's one thing, get your, you know, get your upset out of the way. Mm. You know, you smack the club in the ground, do whatever. You put it, do it in a green. That there's people to follow. They're going to have to put over that damage, mm. and they don't get a chance to get relief from that damage. You know, um, because it's not marked as ground and repair. You have deliberately, even if it's in the in the moment, you have deliberately. If you've fallen over your putter and walked on it and damaged the green, that's one thing. But you have deliberately buried your club. Well, for a start, I know if my dad had been caddying for me, he'd have left the club in the ground. He wouldn't have picked it up. So, you know, he'd have, he'd have walked off and left me to do whatever. So I haven't seen the reactions because obviously, you know, the cameras kind of diverted fairly mm. quickly, you know, and there's no, you know, next to no footage available of, of it. You know, it'll soon, it'll soon pop up on YouTube, I'm sure. But, you know, I just think it's despicable. I think any player who can do that level of damage deserves whatever's coming for him. And I think, you know, the way that it, we'd rule it out, you know, within the industry is remove the check that he's just received. 
not the points, yeah. all right, but the money. All right, it's only going to cost a few few dollars to fix it. Pebble might decide to put a little patch in there. You know, if it's the size of a club head, it's the size of a hole. In with a hole, out with a hole, cup and plug and away you go, it's repaired. But let's let's take this, let's get rid of this petulance. I mean, that's yeah. petulance to me. You know, let's get rid of that petulance from the professional game, all right, and start finding the players. You physically damage the golf course to a point where one of the significant surfaces is damaged. I've seen it with Deschambeau as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll point somebody else out on the practice green. On the practice green, you know, get, get a grip of yourself or, you know, just stop players from playing for mm-hmm. three months. And that will affect everything then, you know, so, but deal with it. PGA there's Tour, a, there's a, there's a, not protecting the players. Yeah, there's a, there's a way you can deal with frustration anger and it's not taking it out on the golf course you can go take yourself for a walk in the woods to, and have a mutty to yourself but the thing about what these guys don't realize that there's cameras everywhere now Even well, the kids think it's right crew, yeah. that's the thing kids think it's okay all right i can tell you now that as a junior golfer it isn't okay mm-hmm. it isn't as a senior golfer but as a junior golfer the consequences of doing something like that is significant you get three months suspension in the middle of the season mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've had to climb trees to pick my to get my clubs back before now. I don't mind admitting that. I'm not, you know, I'm ashamed to have to admit that. But that's, look, you know, as a 15 year old, you know, kid with testosterone running around him like a lunatic, you know, throwing a club, you know, in the direction of the fairway that, you know, an old fellow that I played with said, if you're going to throw a club, throw it where you're walking. Um, so I did. Unfortunately, it was a tree lined alleyway of a tee shot and I got stuck in a tree. All my playing partners walked off, laughing their heads off and left me. I had to go and climb the tree myself. I didn't even get a leg up. I had to figure out how I was going to get up the tree and caught up with them about 25 minutes later. Look, we joke about it now, but that's again the petulance of a 15-year-old. This guy isn't 15. Mm -hmm. And to damage a, a green on an iconic golf course or otherwise is you know fine him and and i would go as far as to say you find him exactly the same amount of money as what his checks worth don't take his um fedex points away but hurt him Mm. and if he's lost under grand because he's just decided in the moment he's going to get it sorted justin thomas has been brilliant because he's turned around and said i'm going to go on a course to better myself to improve myself as a human I think those were the words he actually used and he's gone and got himself onto some kind of disciplinary course or anger management course whatever it is to try and understand a bit more about why he does it because you ain't getting the fix without finding the cure mm-hmm. you know, you've got to get the cure you've got to fix um you know what's wrong first before you go for the cure and he's you know he's learning how not to say what he said he's accepted it right but it's it's cost him millions. It doesn't even cost him. <laughs> it's cost him a million, you know, a couple of million dollar contract uh, along the way as well. And I, I, and again, I'm completely with uh, Ralph Lauren for doing that. And you can see how these players' reactions from the reputation Patrick Reed's got now to Justin Thomas, now to um, Nate Lashley. You think how quick kind of sponsors and, and people like that are to go no sorry we're not taking that we're, we're leaving we're going we don't want to touch you do you think yeah. this will happen in a similar kind of situation to some degree i hope so yeah because i don't think we can condone it you know there's, there's too much 
we're allowing this this almost nanny state that we're we're living in is allowing no consequences for being you know for petulance i don't care well you should make him care you know rob a passion of mine obviously at this point you realize that but you know it's making care we've got teenagers that don't care why because there's no consequence for their actions you know damage something so what mm. so what i mean i remember playing football in my parents backyard when i was a kid and i broke next door neighbor i broke a plastic you know to the roof i'm next door neighbor's um garage you know it was a it was a skylight but it was you know it was corrugated plastic and mm. it allowed light into his garage right i had to pay for that mm. And rightly so. I remember my football sitting in his garage, so there's no way I was going to get away with it, you know. But I went round and knocked on the door. I went into my dad first and said, look, Dad, I think I'm in a spot of bother because I think I've broken Uncle Jeff's, you know, all our, all our neighbours were uncles then, weren't they? You know, broken Uncle Jeff's um, roof. All right, okay, come on then. And he was coming out as we were coming round. So I said to him, I really sorry i think i've broken the roof and he says yes you have so and he was i, I shit myself i was you know i was i don't know 11 12 something like that he was an he was an old man but i respected him and he was a big fella you know and there wasn't fear i respected him i expected him to go he said right okay he said turned to my dad and he said um how should we deal with this and he said it's up to you jeff it's your roof you know but, but he gets pocket money. So, you know, if he can let me know how much it is and, you know, he said, and then we'll get him to pay for it. And fair play to him. He only charged me a fiver. He ended up replacing five or six panels, which cost him 30 quid. If it was only a fiver, it was going to yeah. cost him 30 quid and his time and effort and everything else. But because I could access it from my bedroom onto my roof, I helped him do it. I've, the least I felt I could do, you know, there's mm. a 60 year old man climbing a roof to get on there and repair his roof. I've caused the problem. I'm going to help him. Accountability, number one, cost me in my pocket. Yeah, not a huge amount of money, but it was, you know, it was certainly a few weeks, you know, pocket money. Mm. I, I don't think I got a pound a week pocket money back at that point in time, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was over a month's worth of money and, you know, I, I became accountable for it. I can tell you now that I didn't break anything else ever. And I'm telling you now that's something that happened 50, 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, not something that we've preempted. That's just accountability. And it's something, it's a life lesson. And if we put these life lessons, these players, millionaires, most of them, all right. Mm -hmm. Nate may not, may not be yet, but you know, he's playing on the PGA tour. There's money coming into his account, make him accountable. And then, and then we deal with it. And then we clean up an already clean game mm. and we stop it from going down the route of becoming yeah. a, you know, a, a street trash game, mm. you know, because, I, you know, I think we just allow, we can, we can allow it or we can deal with it. And it's up to the governing bodies. PGA mm. Tour, deal with it. Yeah. We had an interesting one this week as well, where for the third straight week running, we've had a winner that's had a bagless sponsor. 
or a, a non-equipment yeah. non brandy. We had Kevin Nor with Callaway. He he broke the kind of, it would have been four, but Kevin Nor's with Callaway. We had Patrick Reed, we had Brooks Kepka. Now we've got Daniel Berg, who haven't got a an equipment sponsor, so to speak, this year. They're independent. They're putting mm -hmm. in their bag what they want. What, what are your thoughts of a burger's kit? What's interesting is the fact that it's nearly 10 years old, mm -hmm. some of it, you know. Um, I've caught a glimpse of it, and it looks like it's a 2011 model. Yeah. So, uh, the irons, that is. Mm -hmm. And they're really good irons, actually, yeah, to be I, fair. I had a set. I remember those. I had a set of them. Shape of irons that, um, you know, that I would say that is, is extremely playable for, for a golfer. And I, I liked its adjustability factors with the you know you could they could adjust the weights around actually funnily not too dissimilar to what Callaway's done this year mm -hmm. uh 10 years ago yeah <laughs> so um yeah i think when you when you're looking at um you know when he comes down to it, and, and daniel's been around a while and you know he's he, he won in 16 17 mm -hmm. last year and this year now it's four wins you know, it's already starting to build to be an impressive career. And, you know, it's it's not a classic book. It's not an overly peculiar looking swing until you break it down. Um, but he's using equipment that works. And I think there's a huge amount to be said for that. Just on a side note there, Kepka's switched to Swixen in the last couple of weeks and signed a deal to use the six and irons. Mm. He's not using the wedges, so he's only got the irons in the bag. Um, and he's not using the ball, which is, you know, ordinarily part of the deal. But, you know, what kind of a deal he's got going on there, I don't know. Um, but, the, you, know, you know, there's some kind of deal. And, you know, I think it, the players, at the end of the day, these are the tools that make the difference. Mm. that's where it comes down to. These are the tools that make the difference. So once we've gotten, um, you know, our, our tools, then, you know, we've, we've got to look at it and say, actually, we've got everything we need. What, does this what, hurt the manufacturers, though, Andy? Um, does it hurt the manufacturers? Well, it's not hurting TaylorMade that Daniel Berger's using a set of golf clubs that are made by TaylorMade. Mm. So, you know, does it hurt them that he's not using something current? Uh, you know, we had a conversation off air, obviously beforehand, that he sourced as many of those heads that he could get because he knows they're not going to last forever. They're not going to reproduce them. So he's just sourced as many as he could find. Um, you know, so he obviously likes that. Now, it may come a point in time where he actually likes something that's new. Um, but, you know... Taylor Maid's not paying him to use no. those. You know, they would help him find as many heads as they can find. And if there are none in the vaults, then, you know, he, he's, um, he's out of luck from them. But he's, um, yeah, I mean, does it, does it hurt? You know, I don't think he does. Mm. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily win-win because, -win, you know, if somebody says, well, I'd like a set of clubs that Daniel Burgers win, they can't do that. But, you know, so it's not win-win, but then, you know, TaylorMade's benefit is that, you know, they'll stop at that, that person who finds him adhering enough to want to use his equipment will just go and have another set of TaylorMade, you know, at the end of the day. So um, I, I, I think the manufacturers will, will shy away from the seven-figure deals now. 
more significantly because you know the, the current climate economically has has hit those manufacturers and um and who knows what else is going to happen we know all the clubs are made in the far east you know largely we also know that there's nine month lead times on some of these products mm-hmm. it isn't stopping some of the manufacturers from getting product out every six months as mm-hmm. taylor might ordinarily do um but you can't keep paying multi-millions out, you know, and think that the customer on the street who's, you know, not got maybe as much money as he did have, um, you know, he's going to survive, you know, going to shell out, you know, 1,200 quid just for, you know, or $1,500 just for a set of irons because somebody's getting paid to use them. I think we've seen past it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, especially when I've just looked and you can pick up a set of those on eBay for three hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you know, and that that'll be it. You know, a lot of folk will think, "Oh, crikey, if it's good enough for 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 Daniel, then I'll I'll go and buy a set of those." And that, you know, last year a couple of years, that's great. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I just I don't know whether the, the bubble has to burst. You know, I think we've been saying that for years. I think it rains itself in rather than, you know, the bubble deflates rather than bursts. But yeah. I just don't, I just don't understand where, you know, customers and, you know, are thinking it's okay. Thinking they're going to get a better game for spending another $500 or, you know, $600 extra on a set of golf clubs, mm-hmm. um, you know, than they would have done two years ago. Because that's the crazy thing. Only two years ago, these were $800. And now $1,200, $1,400. And, you know, is the technology that much greater? No. So who's making the money? It's not all shipping. Some of it is. It's not all shipping. It doesn't work it out quite like that when you're ordering, you know, sort of 10,000 sets of the stuff. It doesn't pan out to be 100. You're moving one set around. It might cost $100 more to move it around. But, you know, it's not, you know, $10,000 is not moving that. But we do know that, you know, shipping is, you know, when you've got one of your clients is about 15 times the shipping costs. Yeah, so it's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, bulky items that are bulky items, you're just not getting many into a container. So mm-hmm. you know, they are gonna, they are gonna cost. But um, yeah, I, I like the fact that you know, golfers out there who are using equipment that is not assigned, um, you know, to you know, or players not paid to use is you know, is you know, I think it's refreshing. Yeah, because I've seen as well that the guys who used to work for Nike have set up um, a wedge company called Artisan Wedges. And Jason Day and Patrick Reed have both got them in their golf bags, kind of ex-Nike staffer players. I don't know if it's the same, same kind of product or similar to what Nike produced. But again, it's great to see lesser, newer brands coming out and players putting them in the bag. Yeah, I think, you know, and obviously it becomes an, uh, you know, a bit of an advantage when the guys who were servicing these players, you know, five, six years ago were, uh, you know, come out with something, you know, that's 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 new as a brand. Um, and they know the score, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're giving this stuff away um, to get players using it, you know, to create brand awareness. So, you know, you're only giving away at the marketing pot. But they've also got the got the advantages that the player that they will use to work with knows who they are. You know, hey, how are you doing? You know, it's good to see you. It's like, what are you up to? Oh, you know, and and they're like kids in a candy shop. You know, um, 
I made a comment at the weekend, you know, that professional sportsmen are like kids anyway. <laughs> they never really grow up, you know, partly because there was a prank in Dubai. I don't know if you saw it, it went viral. Um, but the prank in Dubai that uh, Poulter and Stenson yes. seem to be winding each other up at the moment and Stenson seems to be winning. Um, he's a bit of a sly old dog, he's asked mm -hmm. Henrik. But um, yeah, uh, you know, they just never grow up. And, and it's the same with the equipment. They, there are guys out there that know what they want and, and you know, like to just stick with that. Sandy, rumour has it that you've been building something and it's quite quite exciting, it's quite artificial and it takes some kind of intelligence, doesn't it? I don't know. <laughs> artificial intelligence. <laughs> I'll throw that in there. Um, intelligence. I'm not sure which one of us in the collaboration of this, uh, this, this new testing equipment, RoboPut, um, so, yes, in collaboration with um, Ray McMahon from Carbon Mac, um, we've, uh, Ray and I have been, we've spent about nine months now uh, in discussion over the Carbon Mac shaft. And um, so fortunately, as an engineer, he's able to get his hands on the equipment to be able to build um a putting robot so in effect what's you know he, he he's got a fantastic product it's ridiculously good but i need to know why yeah. you know we can't just say oh a putter feels good because a putter feels good i need to know why i need to know what it is that he's doing and um you know that that's the beauty about it is that um we've designed um you know, it's funny, you know, when you get two visual individuals who can't get together, you know, because of the current lockdown, but you get two visual individuals trying to communicate their visual ideas uh, to each other. It's amazing what you can come up with. But, um, yeah, we have a prototype working and um, uh, we have a putting stroke that works um, very, very effectively on the prototype. So we've got a little bit of refining to do. Um, and uh, yeah, Ray's done a really good job of, of developing the, the prototype. I think we'll refine it, you know, significantly for, for version two, but over the next uh, week or so, we will have the working model. Well, the, the prototype is a working model. It's doing exactly what we needed to do. And we will get together because, you know, we cannot get any of this done you know, it's information that the golf industry needs. You may not want, um, but it certainly needs. And we're going to be testing um, seven significant putter shafts um, in variable, various head designs. And we're also testing head designs um, ultimately so that we can get the, the data out to folk that, um, you, you know, you can make a... Uh, an educated decision on what you feel is the right club for you. So, mm. so that's basically, you know, what we've, uh, we've done um, or in the process of doing and um, you know, we'll be, we'll be testing. So kind of watch this space really. Love it. That's so exciting. So, so yeah, we've not been, oh, we've not yeah. been dormant, you know, sat down twiddling the thumbs, watching the golf on TV. Um, 
but that would be perfectly honest with you. And I felt like doing an awful lot, but you know, there's there's little snippets of things that will keep you excited, and and this has been one of them. And you know, it's been, uh, um, you know, something that I've wanted to do. I've had concept in mind for a long, long time, and I've never found anybody who was um, engineeringly capable of being able to do put the design into into construction. Um, and Ray's brilliant, you know, this is the thing about, you know, sort of old hand engineer, uh, and, and it is old hand engineering, you know, he's, he's done a fantastic job. I've seen the images, seen the video uh, footage of it working and, um, you know, he's refining the, the latter stages of, of, of it now just to optimize so that we've got variables. And the beauty about it is we can vary how the stroke performs. Yeah. That's one of the things that was absolutely critical. I was involved a few years ago with a, a good friend of mine in Melville with a center cut putting trainer that um, in effect illustrated what the virtues of straight back and straight through stroke was and how to optimize the rocking of the shoulders. Unfortunately, it didn't fit with my coaching ethos, but you know, it wasn't a case of I just want him to, you know, set it back by 20 degrees or whatever. Um, because his coaching ethos was to rock the shoulders. And of course, you can see what's happening to my head when the shoulders rock rather than when they rotate. So we got the rotation factor built into the frame. And subsequently from there, we were able to, um, you know, sort of prove certain points of reference with regards to the stroke and how the face would rotate and arc. And, you know, we could measure things you know, in, a, in a specific way. Um, more concisely, you know, doing it that way. But again, it was still a human doing the work. And I wanted to get a, um, a uh, you know, a robot to do it so that I can, you know, divorce myself from the process mm -hmm. and, and then do the human testing on the back of it so that you then have, you've always got to have a control model in, in everything that you do. You, you cannot have um, a human response do everything 100 percent. you just can't as good as i know my putting stroke is it still has variety mm -hmm. you know as you know I, I i hit plenty of putts but i don't practice religiously my stroke because i don't need to i'm not playing i'm not competing you know at the level that you know some of my clients are so um you've got to be able to repeat the stroke and yeah, that's what gives you clinical trials so um, you know, so that's where we'll be. And it's a heck of a lot. What I've put together for the tests is going to be close to three days worth of testing, which is a heck of a lot of testing. I mean, we're, we're talking ridiculous amount of testing, ridiculous amount of putts. You know, each putter, each shaft will be subject to a, a minimum number of, of um, putts so that we can see what happens to it so we can pick up the variables mm. um you know and then we're testing head shapes as well as you know, sort of shafts so yeah it's, it's it's an exhaustive and extensive test um but you've got to do it properly mm. you know and then uh if anybody would like to help contribute towards that um because it doesn't come cheap we're hiring in equipment we're using we will be using uh sam putt lab Capto and Quintic, um, you know, for for analysis, so that we cover all the bases. 
So if there are any comparable tests out there, then we'll have the numbers back to back up all of the comparable tests. So, um, you know, we just basically have everything in our, in our power, you know, Brilliant. so, uh, yeah, looking for, I'm looking forward to, I'm not looking forward to doing the tests mm -hmm. and writing down the results of every part. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's, the, that's the, that's the difficult bit. The, the easy bit is doing what potentially could be 20 hours of, of testing. <laughs> That'll be the easy bit. Brilliant. Can't so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you, I never know. You might get drafted in. <laughs> so, Super. So, great yeah, show, so that's where we are. Great show again. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it, you know, obviously, yeah, we're in, we're going into a different phase, um, you know, and, and obviously from our point of view here in the UK, we're, you know, middle of, middle of February, we still don't know when we're going to be able to get out on the golf course. It's 13 degrees outside. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. We should be on the golf course. And and we're not. And, and that's where it starts to get a little bit ridiculous, really. So, you know, there's no reason why we can't be out there. Um, easy enough to social distance. We need to get back out on the golf courses. We need golfers to get back out playing golf. And we need the coaching centres and the practice centres to be up, up and running, um, you know, PDQ because you know there are a lot of folk out there struggling with their mental health because they're not getting out to see folk they're not getting out in the sunshine you know and um, you know it's really important for us all that we can get out there and do that so I can't get out in the sunshine today because I've got clients from all over the globe um, coming coming online to see me and of course we will be on live at four o'clock so yeah I've got a busy one busy day, busy busy day so good stuff Andrew thanks for your time Paul Brilliant. Looking forward to spending more time with you going forward. We'll let you know how this um, these tests are going to get on. <laughs>